Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. The month of October's theme is It Came From Shudder, in which a guest picks a movie from Shudder's extensive back catalog that is lesser known or perhaps doesn't get the love that it truly deserves. And for this first installment, I'm once again joined by a friend of the show, Micah, to chat about the pitch black horror comedy of Juan Ortiz. 2019 film Fingers, following office manager Amanda, whose life begins to unravel as she attempts to face her inability to deal with other people's bodily imperfections. And that's before her co-worker Walter starts showing up to work, missing, well, fingers. So without further ado, Micah, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jay. It's great to be back. It's uh, It's been too long. It definitely has been. And, you know, you were always somebody that I can count on to uh, bring me movies that I'd either not heard of or showing me film in a new light that I didn't uh, was not fully able to appreciate. And you certainly brought me a movie this time for uh, for us getting back <laughs> together again. So, uh, you know, Fingers is almost difficult to describe to someone that has not read the synopsis itself. So, you know, it's a wild movie, to put it lightly. So I'm curious, you know, for you, what was it about this movie that kind of jumped out to you initially from the other movies that are, you know, offered on Shudder? Sure. Um I yeah I did kind of stumble upon this in Shutter and I'm you know I'm I'm one of you're probably like this too but many people who I'm just constantly browsing and sometimes I'm I'm only half watching the movie anyway and then if it's really interesting I'll maybe sit down and watch it again um, but that's how I found a different movie called After Midnight um, which maybe we can talk about on a different episode um, but uh, that starred uh, Jeremy Gardner. And I was so impressed with his performance that I started, I looked him up on IMDb and I'm like, what else is this guy in? And I saw he was in this. Um, and so I checked it out and it was also on Shudder. And, and yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. It was one of those, one of those movies that after like five or 10 minutes in, I stopped everything and I'm like, okay, wait, no, I actually have to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is wild. Uh, and I, I just, you know, on, when you're browsing the movies on Shudder, I, I I love their selection and I love the service that they provide and it really is unique for for weirdos like us that love to watch this stuff. Um, but one thing that's not so great about Shutter is their rating system or kind of lack thereof. I found and and this is one of those movies. If you browse and part of it's just the algorithm or system they use or whatever because I I think you can like any person can just submit the same review seven times and it kind of messes it up. But but anyway. Um, Love you, Shutter, and <laughs> I, I, I'll take it. Take you with all your faults, but but anyway, this is one of those movies that it's like all the reviews were one star or five stars, and and I get it after watching, and even on IMDb, it's it's similar. Um, this uh, yeah, this movie is probably not for everyone, um, but even director Juan Ortiz, he was you know I, I listened to an interview about him, and he's like, you know what, just. Everybody has a different sense of humor. Not everybody's going to get it. And in fact, one of the first actors he had read for one of the roles at the end of reading for it said, is it okay to laugh at this? Like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be laughing. <laughs> and, and Juan said, okay, well, yeah, I guess you're, you're not right for this role. 
if you don't get right. it, you're not going to get it. And that's okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a great way to put it, right? Is that this is a movie that it, people are either going to jive with or it's going to very easily uh, for them, you know, kind of figuring out early on that this is not for them. Um, and, you know, as somebody, the older I get and the less free time I have, I'm most interested in tackling movies that are one end of the spectrum or the other. You know, I almost get annoyed now when I sit down to watch something when I have a free evening and I'm like, oh, that movie was just okay or that movie was forgettable. Now I'm more interested in finding a movie that's either really, really excellent and excelling at the genre or subgenres it dabbles in, or I want to see something that takes some big swings. But even if it whiffs, chances are there's going to be elements of that that make it unforgettable or, you know, that might not always be for the right reasons, but I find that I'm much more appreciative of directors that are willing to, you know, chase their very singular vision and, you know, singular visions don't always work out the way they entail, but, you know, with fingers, it's a film that dabbles in so many different subgenres that I found periodically, even in moments where I was like, okay, this beat is kind of going on a little too long or something. Within the next few minutes, it shifts up its tone or the plot just goes in a completely bonkers direction uh, to the point that I'm like, well, now my interest is recaptivated because I have no idea what's coming next, which, you know, when you watch a ton of movies is a rarity, I find. Um, I find that a lot of the time you can kind of start to see the thread and where it's going to the point that it's like, well, yeah, I saw that coming, of course. But with this movie, genuinely, uh, I have no idea where it's going from minute to minute. And it's very unconventional. And I'm curious to kind of hear about how and why, you know, it being so unconventional worked for you. I mean, what was maybe a subgenre that this film dabbles in that stood out to you initially? Uh, that's a good question. And I, I definitely want to agree with you. There's, there's many adjectives you could use for this film, but the number one is just unpredictable. And that is such a great thing. And like you said, it's, it's not super common. Um, I, for, for me, the thing that, that stood out to me was, like you said, the different tones, but just some of the the obvious and uh, and maybe less obvious influences of the film. So like, so in terms of tone, right, some of the obvious ones, you've got Coen Brothers, which um, director Juan Ortiz even, like he admitted, he said, yeah, Coen Brothers, definitely a clear influence on this film. In editing, he acknowledged that there's a lot of kind of Tarantino, Pulp Fiction aspect to this film. Um, and for me, I think I even tweeted about this once. It's like, to me, I see a lot of Napoleon Dynamite in this film. Yeah. <laughs> and in some of the scenes. And those are really weird things to mix up. But to me, they're also it's it's about all, all the those the things those three types of films have in common is unpredictability. I don't know where they're gonna go. Um, and that's that's part of the fun. Um in terms of what it's I, in terms of like themes and everything, I, I did find the phobia theme really interesting. Um and I looked it up. I think what she has is dysmorphophobia. I think that's what it's called, which is the fear of just physical abnormalities, either on yourself or other people. Um, and I thought that was established pretty cleverly and quickly in the plot. And then the plot, of course, goes like a million other directions. But um, there aren't many, you know, I was trying to look up actually different movies about phobias. And there's like, 900 movies about agoraphobia right and, and that's then, kind of the go-to right <laughs> right and then because that's that's so natural i'm like oh yeah you're, everyone's stuck in an apartment building how scary but the more interesting stuff are the weirder ones like um i cannot remember the name of it. what's the name of that movie about the the people 
who end up living like in a tinfoil house. You know what I'm talking about? Oh. Um, they get so well, paranoid. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Bug. Yeah, yeah. With that's, Michael Shannon. Yes, yes. That movie. Um, so it's just that was also unpredictable about what's going <laughs> to happen when you have that premise. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that, you know, it's the movie starts off with the character of Amanda and you start off getting to know her in that way. And then in some sense, you could look at the film as it's a film about overcoming your fears, right? That's kind of one way to look at it. Um, but it was also really interesting, the relationship between her and Walter, right? The victim of this craziness. Um, and something that was also interesting, again, in, the, in this interview I, I read with the director, that uh, the original story was just about Walter, right? And it was just, okay, what if this guy just was the mishap of some uh, some crazy, really low-level criminals um, mixing things up and cutting off his fingers. But then what he discovered, and when he actually sat down and started writing it, he thought it was actually more interesting to focus on everyone around him. Like, how would everyone react to this? And it is true. Like, that's it's a great movie because you don't even really... I don't think Walter even has a line until like 30 minutes of the movie. <laughs> like, everything's about this craziness happening to this guy. But he's really not the center of the story. It's really kind of everybody else, which I found really interesting. Yeah, you know, I thought that the way the movie presents itself early on, right? You have Amanda, you have her overanalyzing her features. And it's the type of thing where, you know, her performance in that moment when she's looking at herself in the mirror and kind of looking over her face and her features and clearly is, you know, unhappy with what she sees, right? And so you kind of assume, oh, this is going to go the traditional route of body horror. Oh, I need to make changes on the outside, you know, to then, of course, uh, potentially, you know, rectify some feelings on the inside that are negative. Um, but then you see that interaction when she goes to the donut shop, right? And she's ordering donuts and the woman that serves her, um, you know, is perfectly, uh, you know, the perfect cleanliness standards in terms of like serving somebody food. But then she looks at the birthmark on her hand and she has this really over the top reaction to that. And you're like, Okay, so her problem is not just maybe with herself, but it's with other people. And you think, oh, well, this is going to have some kind of body horror element to it. And then, like you said, it goes this other direction and it's less about Amanda and being in her shoes to the degree that the film doesn't really even have a central protagonist. It's just the introduction of the world is Amanda. But like you said, the focus then shifts to all the people that are surrounding Walter. And, you know, something I should have mentioned at the top of the show, the film opens with Walter being chased down a road and a car pulls up behind him and there's these guys with masks and they're kind of like doing this dance. And then, of course, he loses a digit. Um, and it, then the movie takes this tonal shift to him being in the office that Amanda works at and he's just typing away, missing a yeah. finger. And all of a sudden it turns into, I almost thought of it like office space kind of, where it's just like completely normal. But then, of course, there's this absurdist thing where nobody, the intern notices he's missing a finger, but then everybody, nobody else in the office does anything about it. And then you see Amanda's over-the-top reaction, but it all feels so comical, yet everybody's playing it so straight, which I love because it makes for a very kind of uncomfortable as a viewer because you're like, what are we going for here? Right. And then, of course, as we learn and keep going through the film, this is a movie comprised of an eclectic mix of characters from different backgrounds who none of their lives should really you know, intermingle in the way they do, and yet... You know, they seemingly can't get out of their own ways uh, and just seeing the ways in which, you know, they're dealing with this ridiculous premise, 
But again, they never break character almost, or nobody cracks a smile, if you will, uh, in terms of, you know, how it all plays out. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting. Like, I think probably the only two kind of what I would call straight characters in the movie are are maybe um, Amanda's fiance or boyfriend or whatever. He's pretty straight. And then I guess her friends and that one scene at the dinner party early on yeah. are straight, but kind of everybody and maybe I guess the uh, the quiet panda character is pretty straight, but everybody else is just really pushing the boundaries here. And um, but they but they all do it in different ways. Like Amanda is kind of um, over the top, almost like she's on cocaine or something like, right. She's just hysterical like, constantly. Yeah, like a thousand miles an hour, the whole movie um, in either direction, either afraid or just revenge mode or crazy. Anyway. And then you got the, the, you know, the doctor, Dr. Scotty, who uh, is just clearly kind of a caricature of, and, and a kind of a social commentary on mental health anyway. And a lot of that, that was just ripped off of what about Bob? Let's be honest. This is just like a wild version of what about Bob? Um, and uh, and then, of course, you have Jeremy Gardner, who's just in a class of his own. And you just give him material and let him chew it up. Um, and he's going to he's going to go crazy directions. And then even to some extent, I've, I, I the performance of Michael St. Michael's, who I mean, I'm not I, I remember him. I knew that face somewhere. And I was trying to remember where. And I think it was this movie Extremity I saw once where he's he plays a character oh. in that. Yeah, um, wow. There's a movie I haven't thought about in forever. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't I wasn't really familiar with him, but it's a really it's just kind of an interesting steady performance that's that's also like you said, it's like what kind of what kind of criminal underlord is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's just very interesting tone. All of them are totally different in this wild world. Well, it's the ways in which I think that this movie takes these sharp turns whether it be tonally or just, you know, the the ways in which their lives become intermingled and how, you know, essentially what in, on the surface was very clear becomes just like very confusing to the, you know, you mentioned uh, Coen Brothers being an influence of the director, clearly, uh, as, you know, the director stated, but it's it feels like it's Tarantino by way of that just because of, you know, you have these completely deranged individuals that, again, can't not get themselves out of their own way. Um, and I was surprised, you know, you mentioned the doctor character who Amanda ends up seeing, who essentially just ends up kind of being one of these grifters, right? Who's like, oh, I wrote a book that has all the answers. And then, you know, we find out what those answers truly are later on. But, you know, it was interesting for me to see a film that was so difficult to classify and at times felt very aimless. And yet clear, you know, efforts were gone to have some semblance of social commentary that, you know, does actually ring true. And if anything, you know, after I finished watching the movie and I was thinking more and more about that, uh, it made me laugh a lot more just because of, I was like, oh, well, that shows that just because, you know, the audience always feels like they're one or two steps behind the car or the, the car on the tracks, if you will, and not knowing where it's going to go. At the same time, though, you know, there is clear intention in that. Um, and I think that that kind of, rings true to the idea that when people watch movies that are either confusing or maybe, you know, it, sometimes it can be their own fault, right? They're not as concise as they should be. More often than not, like the director has an idea in mind, whether it be, you know, thematically, whether it be social commentary in these things. And this was a movie that the, the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, oh, okay, I kind of see what he was going for there. 
It was a fucking weird way to get there, but he did end up going there at times in terms of like actually having something to say. Um, and I think a big part of that is the performances, right? I'm not going to say every character in this movie I found to be interesting or even funny in some points, but I think that every character and the actor obviously behind them does a good job of making their mark on the film memorable, right? I think that as he's dubbed in the movie, right? The black Dr. Phil, right? I think that that character is not doing something that you've necessarily not seen before. Like the grifter doctor who's just like, I'm going to make as much money on this sucker before I go to the next one. But that character does a great job of, you know, hitting the notes they're supposed to for that trope that's associated with that character. And it's just little bits of dialogue in interactions like that make it that much more memorable. Like when Amanda's talking to him and essentially he's selling her this whole song and dance about how he has the answers to her problems and then he hands her the book that has his face on the cover and she looks at the book and you wrote this? And it's like, it's his face on the cover as big as can be. Like little moments like that that are so ridiculous and so absurd make those interactions that much more memorable in a way that, you know, I found to be entertaining if uh, if <laughs> not always the most uh, maybe productive and continuing the plot at times, but definitely interactions between characters were memorable uh, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and I think I think that's a testament to really, really good directing and, and and good writing because, like, I mean, I'm I'm not a film expert. I'm definitely not a philosopher, but people th like throw around terms like surrealism and absurdism and stuff like that. And that this film is not that. And and it's I mean, like, there's a method to all the madness, right? And I think it really works as a film much better if you have, like, the it's the 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 characters can have the freedom to kind of go a little crazy as long as the director and the editor, you can like tie it in and you keep the train. The tracks may be very wide, but there's still tracks, right? As opposed to just having a movie about nothing, right? Or a movie with no point. Um, you know, this is not, I'm trying to think of an, an example of something that's like a movie about nothing. It's, it's not um, my dinner with Andre, right? But um, it's more like the Big Lebowski, like there's some crazy stuff going on in that movie, but you, you, that every scene in that movie is enjoyable. You know where it's headed. It has a plot. Uh, sorry. You don't know where it's headed, but it all like is moving somewhere. And at the end of that film, you feel satisfied, right? Like I did not get where I was expecting at the beginning, but I'm really glad I got here. And that's a good feeling. Um, no matter how over the top the characters may be. And some of it, you're right. Like some of the stuff in here, is really hilariously over the top. Like you've got, you got Walter um, after he gets his like second or third finger cuts, cut off, right? He goes home to work and there's just this shot of him jumping on the trampoline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, not only has he not gone to the hospital, not contacted, contacted authorities, he's jumping on his trampoline. <laughs> and then like that, you know, he's never played hide and seek. There's an adult man yeah. <laughs> who's never played hide and seek. Um, just, just so silly. Um, and the, and the fact that the two panda characters like that, that the noisy panda or talkie panda, what, you know, he sews the masks like he, he by yeah. hand, that's just like a small detail that really didn't have to be there. But just, again, it's just another thing that put a smile on my face. Um, and there's a lot of little moments like that in the scene. But then on the other hand, you have scenes like the, you know, the scene where his um, where Talkie Panda's dog got stolen. By the way, mm. I rewind. I rewound that scene like five times when he's calling for the dog. 
to check the like what is the name of the dog and i had to actually mm-hmm. watch the credits it is toad boy that's the <laughs> name of the dog is toad boy well, that i mean having a random ass name like that definitely fits this movie <laughs> if there was ever a movie that would have a dog named toad boy yeah, it'd be exactly. this one but anyway the the scene you know after toad boy gets gets dog napped and um talky panda goes after the other guy is just it is brutal and played a hundred percent straight and could be in any thriller slasher like movie ever it's so good and so into even just the way it is shot where it's you know you're you're looking in the foreground in the dark and you see the open bright door behind you the way it's lit and shot and everything it is just a brutal serious scene in this otherwise just cartoonish movie and it's and that that's that's I, I didn't find that jarring. I found that super enjoyable. I was like, whoa, here's, you know, you, you cut from Amanda sneaking around like Bugs Bunny, like a cartoon <laughs> character to this scene. And it's like, holy crap. Well, those are the types of moments that I think is why a movie like this, like people like us that like these kind of like weirdo movies, it's why this movie is something that we would not describe as, you know, as being about nothing in the sense that, you know, it's able to make these wide turns tonally but when it makes those shifts and it leads into those more, you know, tense genre moments, right, if you will, um, I find that they deliver in a way that, like you said, they could be from any movie that plays it straight the entire runtime. You know, that scene in particular, right, when he's interrogating him. But I also think about, you know, with Walter um, and, you know, that trampoline scene is a great example of going from humor to then something that is like pretty disturbing, right? I think that at one point uh, somebody asks him like, what's going on? And he, I think he just says like very genuinely, he's like, they just keep showing up or they keep coming back, which, you know, the delivery of that line is probably the most chilling line of the movie. Granted, you know, you would have hoped he would have gone to the hospital or gone to the authorities, but the concept of like not knowing why this is happening to you and these people just keep showing up again and again. And clearly, you know, not satisfied with the last five digits that they took from you. Um, You know, little moments like that, I find for somebody like me that genuine or you know, regularly is uh, not the biggest fan of horror comedies because it's like I typically find they lean too heavily into one influence more than the other. I found with a film like this, it does such a great job of sneaking up on you with one of those influences when you're least expecting it, that it was a lot more engaging. And I couldn't say that this movie necessarily leaned into one more than the other, because just as I was like, okay, we're on this bit with Amanda and being, you know, over the top about everything. But then as soon as I kind of get fed up with that element or that moment, then I get hit with a moment like that, where he's just like, they just keep coming back. And I don't know why this is happening. Or, you know, the interrogation scene, as you mentioned, was a really, really great one. And even the way the movie opens, right, that dance that Panda does in front of the headlights um, is like genuinely menacing. But then there's this awesome synth score behind it uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, is the type of vibe that I love out of my movies. And that scene really does set the tone perfectly because, you know, it has this synth score that doesn't necessarily match with kind of the sinister nature of what's happening, but it does really inform you that you don't know what to expect with this. And when you think you do, the film will surprise you more often than not uh, in, you know, continuing to go down its own sort of rabbit hole of uh, influences and tones. Yeah, I agree. It was a really a great setup. Um, and yeah, like you said, captured the, like, you think you're watching a comedy, but then you think you're watching a horror thriller, and then the music tells you you're watching both. 
all in like 90 seconds. I had a similar reaction to the beginning of uh, Psycho Gorman, you know, like it's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> just in, unsure what what's going on here um, until you settle in and enjoy it. There, there's another good example of the switch in tone that happens even within like the same scene practically, which is um, when they come back to Walter's house one of the last times and Amanda knocks on the door. Right. And then there's this great I'm so glad he let the shot linger because that's like my favorite shot of the movie is watching the two panda guys and Walter in that hallway. And it is so absurd <laughs> because like they don't know what to do and, but they're not even holding guns. Like talkie Panda is literally holding a clothes hanger. And yeah. that's like, like he's, that's <laughs> how he's him in the ribs with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his solution. And then Walter tries to escape, but it's the lamest escape in history. He like crawls, so slowly 10 feet and then gives up it's just it's really funny but then like the next scene is um you know the panda cutting off the rest of his fingers and it's yeah. so disturbing i mean that moment that you just mentioned right of these these two morons that are clearly you know involved in this criminal enterprise of stealing fingers from this man um you know them being these completely inept criminals that are hiding just behind that wall, right? That's something that feels like it's out of like a Coen Brothers movie, right? Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, well, we're about to be found out. And the, there's no real reason why they're threatening to this guy in that moment, right? As you said, he's got a clothes hanger in his hand instead of a gun. But, you know, it's this mashup of genre moments and kind of scenes in a way that feel familiar. And yet I've always felt like my brain was a few steps behind that because it's just kind of like, okay, so... I'm in Coen Brothers influence in this scene. But then again, you come back to this, the reality with this movie of it was like, okay, I could get a Tarantino-esque scene next, or I could just get something that, you know, completely throws me off guard. Uh, and again, like a lot of that has to do with the performances. You know, I keep coming back to Amanda's performance initially in the office when she learns that Walter's missing a finger and she just starts screaming at this intern who, you know, I felt so bad for the intern because she's just like, you have to get him out of here. And the intern's like, yeah. I, I just started working here. And she's like, you have to get him out of here. And just screaming that at this intern who's just like looks pitiful the entire time. Yeah, I got to say, like, I, I would say my my first time watching this film, I wasn't super into Sabina's. I think it's Sabina Friedman Seitz is her name. Mm -hmm. The actress who plays Amanda. I wasn't super into it. It just seemed kind of like over the top to me. But the more I watched this film, I, number one, what a freaking hard role to act like because you don't know what tone you should do at any given scene. And she is asked to play like a paranoid, you know, phobia, um, just a, a debil have someone with a debilitating phobia, um, but also a boss. And then go to, you know, at the end being like a vigilante murderer. It's just <laughs> it's such a crazy uh spread that she has and i think it's it's actually really really great i really i really admire and, and like her performance a lot and it is hard it is hard to do um you know overacting is not as easy as it looks right because <laughs> it's so easy to to dip into that where okay now you just look like a you know like a high school actor you don't look like an actual actor anymore um or you look like you're impersonating acting as opposed to actually acting um it's really hard and i thought she really did that that uh, that transformation pretty pretty darn well. Even just like the scene at the end when she's reading the last chapter of the book, and she's doing a lot of acting just with her eyes. And I think it's really great. Yeah, she is a character that you know within those opening moments, 
you kind of do feel sympathy for her, right? Because clearly she's someone that's not happy with her appearance, but you know, I would, this is talking in sense of like traditional movie going, this is an attractive person, right? right? This is somebody that, you know, the way that they're looking at themselves, you would almost think like she was looking at herself as if she was like the elephant man or something. And she's like a completely normal looking person. Um, but then, you know, immediately seeing how her phobia makes her view other people, right? And I felt like the more that she talks in the early moments of the movie, the less you obviously are going to like her character because of some of the, the horrific things that she says about people, right? She talks about early on, like, the idea that she didn't want to go visit somebody because their child was... I forget what they said about the child, but she was just like, oh, well, I, I wouldn't even want to look at their child because it would be so ugly or hideous or something. Right. And then, you know, she has some very choice words about uh, encountering an African-American man that was very short. Right. Yeah. And so she's saying the, all of and the more that she talks in the back of my mind, I'm like, will you just shut up? <laughs> You're supposed to be the protagonist <laughs> of the movie. And the more you talk, the less I like you. And then, you know, getting more into this character and just understanding the role that she plays and then kind of realizing throughout, like she isn't really the protagonist, right? She's kind of just the entry point into this wild world. And of course, with as weird and wild as the world is, you have to have somebody that's representative of that. Um, and I think what I liked was that I've started to realize, especially when she's dealing with uh, the doctor, right? Some of the things that she says are just so over the top and so aggressive um, I think at one point she even mentions like people with darker skin are the ones she le she likes the least. And the doctor's face doesn't like bat an eye. Yeah. Granted, you know, if you're going to see a therapist or something, they're supposed to be open to whatever thoughts people have, may whether they be negative or otherwise. But the fact that he doesn't even blink when she says that. And then, of course, in the next scene, he like he's like, oh, I have all the answers. And then he takes out his phone and it's got one of those uh, credit card readers on it. He's like, right. the, he's like, your cure is right here. It starts now or something. Um, and then realizing the purpose that this very, you know, offensive dialogue has and the commentary that's being made between that relationship and how it is mostly transactional uh, and not necessarily about actually providing some semblance of help to this person that's suffering. Um, I was just surprised by that because I think for the first half of the movie, and at this I'd only seen this movie once, um, I was kind of viewing a lot of the humor as being just like shocking for the sake of being shocking. And I'm not going to say there aren't lines in the movie that are clearly meant to be shocking and whatnot. Um, but I think the more I thought about the movie, I was kind of like, okay, I can see how that feeds into another character or something that somebody is saying is not just, you know, supposed to be the semblance of who that person is, but rather, you know, how other people in the world react to those kinds of moments. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I, I mentioned what about Bob and obviously a totally different movie, but it does have a lot of those same themes. And, and again, where you have, you have the therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist who you can tell he just treats all of his patients exactly the same. It's like, yeah. Oh, your solution <laughs> is buy my book and you'll be fine. It doesn't matter what you're actually dealing with. I don't have to bother knowing that. Right. <laughs> just, just give me this money and no matter what it is, it'll be fine. But then, you know, and then and then he does the the therapy in the theater with yes. explosion <laughs> therapy, which which is like straight out of Napoleon Dynamite. It cracks me up. But um, but the, I mean, it, but the movie is in some sense about Amanda, because like if you look at her journey, the there, there's this scene, right? Like what, when is the turning point for her? Like when does she stop becoming afraid or start that transition? And it's in the theater when he says, 
when he's afraid too. Right. And so Amanda sees Walter and is like, oh, we're both afraid. And that's kind of the beginning of her journey. And then you come to the conclusion of the movie where they both, you know, being simplistic, but they they overcome their fears and they do so by, you know, getting revenge on on people. But um, I, I just thought that was an interesting journey. And then, you know, at the final scene of the movie and I, 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 I don't know this, but I imagine it might have been a hard thing to decide exactly how to end, end this movie. Like, do you do you end it with Walter or do you end it with Amanda? Um, or something else, right? Because the movie kind of becomes about both of them. But I really like the, the you know, the very ending is her <laughs> apologizing to that short black guy <laughs> saying, sorry, I was a cunt. Um, <laughs> the end. But, the most uh, apt ending of all time. Yeah. So you so you do see some growth. And, but but there's still this, but, but they, she's definitely not fully cured. There's definitely still issues going on. And the whole wildness with her, you know, she's she's pregnant apparently, and all this craziness is going on. Who knows even if it, if it's even real? Because then she looks over and she sees Doctor Scott's body, but Scotty's body, but she says it's not there. So I don't really know. She's definitely not cured, but um, but she went on she went on an interesting journey, and we joined her. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that. W- a lot of how we've been describing this movie is it's just like it's unpredictable. It goes in so many different directions. But I think that you're right, right? In the sense that they these characters do have an arc that even if you couldn't see how they got there in the moment, right? At the end of it, you're like, oh, okay. Th- again, talking about the fact that like just because you can't see the tracks doesn't mean they're not there. Um, and I love that. And I guess the reason that I sort of described it as like there's no true protagonist is how long we leave Amanda for in a certain section of the film, yeah. right? And it's more about uh, the pandas and, of course, Jeremy Gardner. And, you know, Jeremy Gardner does such a great job of being the focal point for a good chunk of that middle section to the degree that you, I almost began to forget about Amanda. And I was like, okay, now we're going to get a look into this criminal enterprise that's going on here. And, you know, who are these players that are involved and they're dynamic in these things. And that becomes the center of the story for a good chunk of time, but it doesn't feel like it's just as a gag, right? It feels like not only is it more to inform this world and people that are in it, but Jeremy Gardner's character takes a true trajectory that again, talk about chewing scenery, right? When he goes to deliver the fingers to that guy who, you know, apparently the fingers are best delivered in a Ziploc bag that you kind of just like display (laughs) to the neighborhood. Um, They have like a genuine, almost like Tarantino-esque conversation, but it has this absurd, (laughs) this absurd prop of just finger severed fingers that are lying on this table in between them. But again, like the way in which they carry that and the way in which you see, you know, Jeremy's character kind of fall down this rabbit hole into cannibalism, which again, you could never see coming from, there's no indication the movie's going in that direction at all. There's no indication that the pandas have any interest in that leading up to that moment. Um, But at the same time, you know, the way in which characters are presented the very limited information we're told about them, you're like, yeah, sure, why not? I could see that guy eating <laughs> eating somebody's fingers because why not? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, in terms of like other scenes for you that are memorable, more than just being shocking, maybe, what is something else? What is another facet to this film that you think really 
kind of prove that it's not just this film that's like, hey, let's th- throw things to the wall and see what sticks that, you know, serves a purpose, whether it be narrative or whether it be, you know, further strengthening a character. Well, I, I, I would just focus. I would go back to the acting and and the power of, um, you know, when every time I watch this movie, I'm reminded of uh, there's this there's this YouTube video called In Defense of Nicolas Cage. Have you ever seen this? Uh, I have. I think I've heard of it. I haven't seen it though. So, is the YouTube channel is In Praise of Shadows, which I highly recommend. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. In Praise of Shadows, um, I forget the guy's name who runs it, but just just uh, genius level long form um, film criticism and analysis and stuff. But he has a like a three hour long video about Nicolas Cage, and all about like he, the premise is Nicolas Cage is a genius actor. And he has lots of great arguments for that, which, um, you know, full disclosure, I agree with. Uh, but, but one of the things that he, he, there's this interviews with Nicolas Cage and he talks about, um, you know, he, it's just a different style of acting he does, right? Everything Nicolas Cage does, he knows what he's doing and he's doing it for a reason. And it throws back to like Kabuki theater and just a different, a different kind of acting where the point is not how close does this performance um, mesh with reality but rather the focus of the acting is what emotion are you trying to make your audience feel and like how do I get them to that uh, and that's more important than um, you know the hyper realism which you know even the Marvel movies like everything we have everything is trying to be more realistic and all our computer animation is trying to make everything look more real and this is a great um you know, defense of not every movie has to be like that, right? It's okay for movies to not be like real life and for them to instead just elicit emotion and response from you. Um, and sometimes that's the most enjoyable. So that's my main takeaway from from this movie is just, I just sit back and let it wash over me and just enjoy the feelings I get when I when I watch it and the experience that the actors are providing. Um, but for me, like everything is, is Jeremy Gardner. I just, I think this guy is so amazing. Uh, I cannot wait to see more stuff, um, that he's in. And yeah, the, 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 the scene where he's on the ground next to Walter and they're like head to head and crying (laughs) with each other. Um, oh my gosh. It's just, it's like revolting and so disturbing and funny and all of these things all at the same time. And um, they, they really pulled it off. So it's just, an incredibly uncomfortable performance yeah. for the things that you're mentioning, right? It hits so many ranges in peaks and valleys that you can barely track it to the degree that once the scene's over, I'm still thinking about it instead of what is, you know, unfolding immediately after that. Um, and I think that, you know, what you're kind of talking about this idea of like, Everything nowadays is like so focused on being hyper realistic and hyper grounded. But, you know, a clear influence of this movie being the Coen brothers. Right. And an element of those movies that I love that's pure fantasy. Right. Is this ever ending, never ending uh, series of twists and these things that every single thing somebody does sets off a series of events that they could not have foreseen. And just the ways in which this thing that initially starts out and should be very simple just ends up being prolonged and laborious. But it's done in an entertaining fashion. And with this, you know, obviously you have Walter and Amanda who, you know, other than working together, their 
lives outside of work should never be intermingled with one another. And yet the fact that this phobia is what connects them. And then Amanda quite literally like inserts herself into Walter's, uh, you know, predicament, <laughs> predicament, if you will. And just seeing the twists and turns that it takes, the fact that she becomes a vigilante going after these guys and not just killing them, right? Because that would be too normal for this movie. Right. But she has to insert herself into their lives and turn them against each other to the f- point that, you know, Jeremy's character kills his partner. Um, and then, you know, the fact that eventually Walt, someone hires a bodyguard to protect Walter so he doesn't lose any more digits. But then, of course, the bodyguard mistakens Jeremy for Walter. So then Walter breaks in and kills the bodyguard. Like, there's this never ending series of kind of dominoes falling yeah. that, you know, I find to be something I can't turn away from because I just want to see the next calamity. I want to see the next clusterfuck of events that, you know, again, thinking about it, it's like, okay, this is a fairly basic premise. And yet these characters just, you know, the more that they try to rectify the situation, the more chaotic it becomes. And of course, you know, when you have, uh, this storytelling sensibilities, I suppose, it's just going to have more demented results the further on they go. <laughs> Absolutely. The um, yeah, and I I uh, but I don't know where Juan Ortiz is going to go next, right? It's it's very like I was trying to look up what he what he's up to. Um, I actually was so you know I was trying to figure out like is this like who is this guy, right? Who who would make a movie like this? Is such a out there movie, um that not not many people would even think to make let alone make in a way that's really entertaining to watch and like pull it off um but he you know like i i he did a um his prior film i don't know if it was a student film or something it's something called jennifer help us which got a little bit it's only like a 30 or 40 minute film i actually dug pretty deep on the internet and found a copy on vimeo and watched it Mm. um but What's it's a that? very it's 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 good, but it's it's a very traditional slasher. Um and like I said, it's it's only like 45, 50 minutes or something. So it's kind of a shorter, a long short film or a short long film, however you want to look at it. Um and I, I mean it definitely had some elements that were unexplained, like the killer is not really explained um what's going on. But uh just a, a very well put together, stylish, um, beautifully shot film. Uh, anyway, so I just, you know, I don't know. I think the guy's just another, I mean, in the interview I did hear of him talking about this movie, because uh, the, the interviewer, uh, it was another podcast, I don't remember actually who it was, um, saying, you know, like, you consider yourself a weird filmmaker, like, is this your thing? And he was basically just like, listen, man, I had this crazy idea for a movie, and it just kind of evolved and got done on paper, and all my friends liked it, and I got enough actors to like it, and we made it, and that's it. It's, it just happened. Um and uh, I so I just but just kudos. I think it's it's so hard to pull anything like this off, um, let al- at all, let alone have it be genuinely enjoyable to watch. So I just double checked his IMDb, and so he has an upcoming film called Dorothy, which in a chaotic future world where people believe in witches, a gig worker goes off the grid to help a young girl stricken with a contagious and disfiguring illness. And you'll be happy to know it's going to have Jeremy Gardner and. Uh, Sabina Friedman's yet. Oh, really? They're, Once okay. again. So They're yeah, gonna... I get to get another joint with them. Um, but yeah, you know, as somebody that watches a lot of indie horror movies or just, you know, indie movies in general, there are so many movies that go out of their way to be abstract. They go out of their way to be different. And 
I find a lot of the time they end up being these very disorganized messes, I'll say, is that might be putting it kindly sometimes. But with a film like this, you know, I could describe it as being very weird, very strange. Again, all these, you know, kind of ways we've been talking about it. Yeah. But again, the more I think about the movie, it doesn't have the same level of disjointedness that I attribute to maybe other more abstract indie concepts or indie films. You know, again, in the moment, you have this sense of confusion of like, okay, where is this going? There can't possibly be something, you know, constructive being said here. Or, you know, at the end of the day, though, I think that, you know, this film is able to not only have something to say, but it's able to be entertaining in more ways than one. And for that, it's certainly memorable. And I think that this is the type of movie that I would probably throw on at like one in the morning if I didn't know what to watch on Shutter, or if it, you know, Shutter has this feature now on the app where it's kind of supposed to be like cable, right? You kind of just, you select it, this feature, and then it just has this movie that's running. And this is the type of thing that if you watched, you know, 90 seconds of it on that feature, you could come in at any point. I feel like at some level you would be engrossed to be like, okay, I'll watch another five minutes. I'll watch another five minutes. And then once you get to, you know, whatever it is, an hour and 20 minutes, you're at the end of it. And it's kind of like, oh, okay. That might've been very strange and unlike anything I'd seen, but there is a quality of the film, you know, moment to moment that I find to be something I can't really look away from. Uh, And it's definitely a movie that I think about more fondly the further I am removed from it. And I'm really, really interested to see, you know, how this holds up on a rewatch for me because, you know, I have the initial gut reaction to what's happening on screen. But again, I find that, you know, there are these performances that are contrasting to one another, but there is something in that. You get to see people giving these performances or all. They get to contribute something other than maybe just ludicrous lines of dialogue. You know, like we said, so many of the characters in this movie just chew scenery for the entire time that they're either monologuing or, you know, having these over the top performances like, uh, like Amanda's is, but yeah, man, this, (laughs) this is something that, uh, I think is, would have definitely caught my eye on shutter just because of the, you know, the, uh, the DVD cover, right? It's got obviously a hand that's missing fingers and whatnot. Um, but it is the type of thing that I couldn't imagine turning the movie off once I started it, because it's just this thing that it's like every time I was about to kind of be like, okay, I think I'm getting to the end of my time with, and then immediately just grabs me again because it presents something that's just (laughs) something very unpredictable, but entertaining nonetheless. Yeah. And that's, you're absolutely right. And that's, it's a perfect way to, you know, it's a perfect, perfect for your your month's topic of kind of a lesser known shutter films that are worth checking out and there listen there there is garbage on shutter there are one star <laughs> movies on shutter for yeah. sure um and th- maybe not everybody will love this movie but it is not a one star movie no way this is a this is a re- you, maybe maybe you don't give it five stars that's fine maybe it's not your thing but this is not a bad movie this is a weird movie an entertaining movie it's not perfect um uh but uh definitely worth a watch and definitely not something uh you'll see again it's you know i mean it's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode right it's the type of thing that it's unforgettable and you know saying something's unforgettable doesn't always have to have a positive connotate like a completely positive connotation to it there's definitely parts of this movie where i thought certain threads went on a bit too long or i was like okay, we're kind of nailing this joke again and again and again. But, you know, it comes back to the idea that I would much rather watch something like this than something that I can compare to, you know, five other things that I've seen. 
I can't say I've seen anything like this movie before. I could say maybe there's an element here or there, there's subgenre influences, but the way that this movie is concocted, it is this, you know, unknowing cocktail of influences and genres. And I appreciate that. I think more that I, you know, am obviously inundated with lots of movies, but just the older I get and time becomes more difficult. I was like, I would watch this over whatever, some John, some random genre thing that I was like, okay, I see that you wanted to make X, Y, or Z film that were far better. And clearly those lacked. Um, but I think that this is definitely something that, uh, if you show it to anybody that's a horror fan, they're going to have a reaction, but it's going to stick with them in a way that you can't say for everything. But yeah, man, I appreciate you, uh, you putting this one on my radar. Cause you know, the bigger shutter gets and, you know, not to say that it's obviously at the same size of something like Netflix or anything like that, but they are growing considerably in the last you know, handful of years. And as you said, they uh, definitely have their share now of things that kind of just feel like byproducts of the uh, content mill, if you will. It's like, oh, Friday's coming up. We have to release something, Yeah. which as I think everybody knows, uh, is not the best, the best uh, plan for success when you want to have quality films. But this is definitely one that's a standout. And uh, I appreciate you putting it on my radar. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again about something weird i'm sure at some point yeah you know uh, we've been talking uh, about jeremy gardner a lot and i think that uh, in the near future we will surely talk about another one of his films but thanks again man this was a pleasure and it was great to have you back on the podcast thanks jay you too thank you for listening to another episode of daily horror habit you can follow the show on twitter at daily horror pod or give me a follow at not funny jay thanks again for listening and i'll see you guys next week